Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. Hey, Rahul. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. I ate a little too much, but... <laughs> Isn't that the point of Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah. Well, not when you wake up at 5 a.m. because you're too full, but that's a different story. <laughs> well, it was a nice long weekend. I know it's a different time, so I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. But we definitely had some fun games this weekend. Yeah, it was a good weekend in terms of, you know, being with family and, and food and having a good time. And then having the Premier League on at the same time was a great bonus. Yeah, for sure. You want to get kicked off with the first game? Yeah, yeah. So let's start with a few games. So I guess the first one will be Brighton-Liverpool. Uh, an entertaining game. Uh, good chances on either side. Liverpool came in off their loss against Atlanta in the Champions League. And Jurgen Klopp started a pretty good, strong lineup. Uh, Mane was rested, but he played Salah, Firmino, and Jota, your boy. And it was a good start, starting lineup, I'd say. Yeah, and Jada is in good form, so definitely good to see him playing. Yeah, yeah, and he continued his good form by scoring their first goal. Yeah, so, so I mean, do you want to do a little review of the game? Because I have some comments to make after the game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the game itself was, you know, some VAR decisions, some goals, some offsides, and, and a penalty miss for Brighton early in the game, and... Uh, Mope goes off injured and then Liverpool kind of dominating and doing their thing. Salah has the ball in the net, but ruled off for offside. So there's things in, in action on both sides of the pitch. Um, but the first goal came in in the 60th minute. Like I said, Jota scores. And um, I think that was his ninth goal in 14 appearances for Liverpool in all competitions. And yeah, he's eight a in He's a man yeah, in form, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say it was eight in his last eight. So exactly a man in form. Performing really, really well. But, you yeah. know, credit to Brighton. I think they did decent overall. Yeah, Brighton have been have been good this season. They've, you know, even against us in their opening game, they kept it tight. Uh, against Manchester United at home, they kept it tight and only lost to a penalty that was given after the final whistle. So... They've been doing pretty good. So overall, it ended up 1-1. You know, there's a lot of controversy with VAR. Jordan Henderson made some comments. Jurgen Klopp made some comments. We're going to get to him in a minute. Um, overall, I think 1-1's a fair score. Yeah, it's a fair score. But like you said, the VAR decision for the penalty at the end was a little odd because in an era of VAR, you get that decision. But... I would say any other time that's the game just go keeps going and right. you know. So I mean I, I'll just run through that real quick. Brighton were pushing towards the end of the game. Uh ball falls to Danny Welbeck in the 90th minute. And you know, he it he's trying to control it. Andrew Robertson comes in and tries to clear it. And right before he clears it, um Welbeck touches it. So it, the ball's not, you know, in in uh, Robertson's path and he actually catches Danny Welbeck's toes and Welbeck goes down no decision he doesn't ask for a decision no 
Brighton player asked for a decision and then the ball goes out and VAR in the year of the referee says, we got to review this. Yeah, I, I just don't understand because from everything we've watched so far, VAR was brought in to contest a decision or review a decision. The referee seemed pretty confident as you go through the process, which means he doesn't feel like there was a necessary penalty. But someone else, somewhere else watching this game decides to, you know, drop a little note in his ear. And that's always going to change or change your perspective on what you originally saw. So, Exactly. And so he goes and views it on the monitor, comes back, gives the penalty. Brighton score, Pascal Gross. And that, that you know, that settles a game 1-1. And then, like you said, Jordan Henderson says in an interview at the end of the game that some of the Brighton players said it wasn't even a penalty. Right. So here we go again. That just adds fuel to the fire in terms of VAR. Yeah, and, and you and I can sit here and talk about VAR, this whole podcast. It can go on for hours. So rather than taking up too much time, I think one other notable thing that did happen in the game was James Milner went off injured as well, which now adds to Liverpool's compounding injury problems that have happened. Hopefully it's not a long-term one, but that kind of spurred the discussion right at the end of the game when Jurgen Klopp was interviewed and definitely got into a heated debate, to say the least, with the interviewee, interviewer, I apologize, asking some questions about the game. So, yeah, I mean, he, go ahead, yeah. No, no, I was just going to say he started off, you know, he was obviously irritated from that penalty decision. And that irritation, he was clapping this assistant referee at, at towards the end of the game sarcastically and then it that just continued into the the post-match interview with Des Kelly from BT Sport yeah and you like you said you could tell that he wanted to, wanted to have a go at at BT Sport in this case but anyone that you know was going to ask him about injuries or or any of the decisions yeah and you know it's it's one of those strange interviews because really as Jurgen Klopp is going off on Des Kelly like you said Destin sit back and just listen. He kind of, you know, responded in a, in a smart comment almost saying, don't take out your frustration on me or you're pointing at the wrong person or aiming at the wrong person, which kind of in turn just fueled the whole conversation that continued. And for anybody who didn't watch the game or listen to the interview, really the, the brunt of it was Jurgen Klopp is frustrated about the amount of games that have been packed so tightly and how close they are to each other, especially when you're playing on a Wednesday and then showing up first thing on Saturday morning, which was 12.30 uh, English time, the earliest kickoff you can have or one of the earliest kickoffs you can have. He's getting the, the opinion that he's not got enough time to rest his players, not enough time to train. And it's going to cause injuries and spur on things like that. So it just went out of control, got into an argument about timing slots, who makes the timing slots. And of course, the interviewer just wants to protect himself and says, I'm just here to interview you. You may have to go fight with somebody else. And it got out of control at that point in time. Yeah, exactly. And and then Jurgen Klopp brings up Chris Wilder and, and it turns into a whole, you know, discussion about scheduling of games and then five substitutes and, and um, injuries and a whole lot of, I mean, I see what Jurgen Klopp is saying. He really at the end of the day is asking for more protection for players, which any manager would do. And, and especially Jurgen Klopp, who's had so many injuries. So, yeah. you, know, you know, I, he, I can see, I can see what he's doing. There. No, no. I was just saying, I can see what he's doing, but the way he went about it by, going after Des Kelly and going after and bringing up Chris Wilder 
just didn't seem right. Yeah, I was going to make the same point. And one thing he was trying to note was looking at all the games upcoming, Liverpool are the ones with the earliest kickoff three times, which makes sense. That's fine. But every other team is in a similar position. You look at Chelsea, you look at Tottenham, you look at Man United, who's playing midweek and then weekends. We're talking about a day here. 24 hours does make a decent amount of time, depending on how much rest you get and how much, uh, how big your squad is, I mean by that. But every other team is in the same situation where they do have to play midweek, get a little bit of rest, and then move forward. Honestly, I think if Jurgen Klopp's squad is fully fit, this doesn't become a discussion. I think with the injuries now, it's something that's getting to a pinch point and he's getting a little bit worried about that. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to point out that the Premier League plays these games at 12.30 on, on a Saturday because that's the perfect time in Asia for fans to watch a game. And so I can understand why Jurgen Klopp's frustrated from a player a performance and, and injury point of view, but at the same time, his club's benefiting from playing in that time slot because they're getting revenue out of Asia. Yep, absolutely. So again, it's it's the the argument of money versus you know actually caring about players. Yeah, and to that point, before we we drag on on this one, is I don't think the Premier League doesn't care about players. If you think about it, the players are one of their biggest assets. So they're going to do everything they can to protect them. It's just we are in a weird, weird season, in a wild season. It's a different year. So they're trying to pack in as much as they can to finish the season on time and also do it as safely as they possibly can. I know the bubble has contributed to certain things. But other than that, I think every team is in the same boat. Jurgen Klopp is a little bit frustrated, but hopefully he can get through this. Yeah. Well, just one question for you on, on sure. the substitute, substitutes. Do you want to see five substitutes back? Yeah, I don't think that's a problem. I think it's good for them to have that level of rotation. With five substitutes, it depends. But players and managers need to keep in mind, five substitutions doesn't mean it's going to change the game or win the game. You obviously want to put your strongest 11 there, but it's nice. Let's take Chelsea. If you're winning two or three nil by halftime, you can definitely go mix it up. I don't know if you want to mix up all five right away just because a heavy change in the squad may swing the tie one way or the other. But you can stagger it and make those five changes and rest some of your key players and bring on some players that need game time and leg time. Yeah, what about yourself? I, I see where you're coming from, but I, I would rather keep it at three. Okay. Now, I, I say that because there's seven teams in the Premier League that play in Europe, and there's 13 teams that don't. And so those 13 teams aren't obviously going to win or be up there come end of the season because they don't have the squads for it. Now, maybe right. one or two of those teams would sneak in like an Everton or at this point, a Wolves. But for someone like a Sheffield United or West Brom, if they're putting in all their efforts into playing a game and winning, let's say they go into a game and are beating Chelsea 3-0, let's just say, right? They, they were at, up at that point at halftime. And Frank Lampard has five substitutes to bring on. That's just a lot for a team like West Brom to handle with the quality that these bigger squads have. Yeah, definitely a fair argument. There's no there's no argument on that front as far as the quality differences in certain squads. Um, but you and I have both seen you can bring on five players and they can be no impact. We talked about some other teams the other day that we can play another 90 minutes and they're just not going to score. It doesn't matter who you bring on. I, right. I can see it both ways. I think you have a valid argument. So definitely something we'd like to hear feedback from the fans and see what you guys think as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just the solution right now is that these seven teams in Europe just need to rotate a little more than normal. Right. But that's it. So okay. yeah, a lot, a lot to talk about. Even though the game was a draw, um, but that took Liverpool back to the top of the table ahead of the Spurs game on Sunday. So yep. they're still doing well with with all the injuries they have. But so let's move on to the next game we want to cover. And this was an exciting game. This was Southampton was. versus Manchester United. I think you call it the game of two halves. I believe. Yeah, and and it again, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer turns into <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson when his job's on the line. Do you know, before we get into the the meat and potatoes of it, I really think there is something about just being under pressure where he does turn into Sir Alex Ferguson, whether he makes the right substitutions or whatnot. I just wish he could start off the game as Sir Alex Ferguson instead of waiting till the end. Yeah, you know, he started he started a good lineup. I mean, he he changed it up a little bit. He played a diamond midfield. He played Van de Beek, which again tells me that he has been listening to us. True. <laughs> but, you know, he, he made some tweaks and he's could have been up or at least back in the game if uh, I believe it was Mason Greenwood and then Bruno who had back-to-back chances. Yep. And they didn't, they didn't finish it. And then Southampton were just perfect on goal you know two shots and two goals and right. they go two up yeah so, and that second goal was was a, an amazing free kick you know it's not something you can stop it's something that was just great and put them under pressure I think looking at United it's just a matter of how do they maintain that consistency and we can get into the meat and potatoes of the game like I said it's just trying to find that consistency from the beginning and not play on the back foot yeah yeah and Again, it comes down to a team that's two up against Manchester United is obviously going to go a little bit defensive. And Manchester United at two down are just going to throw everything at it. And that's what they did. And, and it paid off for them. Yep. So, so for just wanted to go who, back. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I just wanted to go back to the goal you mentioned, Southampton's second goal. James Ward-Prowse is turning into some free kick taker. Definitely. I think right now he's getting everything he touches on a free kick is going into the net. It's been brilliant to watch. Yeah, and I think he's now scored nine Premier League free kicks, which is, I think Lampard scored nine in his whole career. So he's doing good for himself. Very, very impressed, yeah. So the game ended up 3-2. Obviously, we touched on the first half where Southampton went in with the 2 nail lead. Uh, second half comes on, and he brings in Cavani, who I think we've touched on even in the last podcast, maybe the previous podcast before, who we believe should be starting. Maybe he's not match fit. Maybe he still needs to kind of find his bearing in the team, maybe language, whatever it may be. But he just looks like a class, class, class act whenever he shows up onto the pitch. Yeah, he is. You know, he's always been good at finishing movement and he's showing that in his brief career at Manchester United. And he showed that once again, he made the first goal for Bruno and then he scores the next two and wins them the game. So you're right. He's. I know we said a few podcasts ago that he wasn't what Manchester United should have gone for, but they got him, and and he's proving us and everyone that doubted him wrong. Yep. And you know, we said. I think we said he was on the tail end of his career, or the opposite end of uh, you know a Martial, for example, or a Rashford, for example. But one thing I did notice about him, and I don't know if you saw this. I know other fans have been talking about it online as well, is. 
he's been a proven goal scorer or somebody who kind of plays towards the front front end of the football field. He was working so hard throughout the entire game where I would actually see him running back, tackling for the ball, pushing, winning things, and just showing that determination of this is the energy we need in the game. And that's why I completely call it a game of two halves because the first half United were doing okay, but Cavani brought that extra grit, which in all fairness to United, I've seen that with Bruno Fernandes quite a bit. He kind of pulls Man United on his back and just takes them through to the finish line. But it's nice to see Cavani helping along with this this process. Yeah, it was. it's funny you mentioned Bruno while talking about Cavani because I was going to say the same thing, that he almost feels like the partner Bruno wants in front of him Oh yeah, because they have the same mentality in terms of we've got to win and we've got to pull our team through. So that that was that was a point that I also had. So yeah, and I mean I think for Manchester United this was a good win because they had won so big in midweek. Then to come into the Premier League and lose would have taken away some momentum. So that was that was a good turnaround for them. Yeah, and as I was watching the game, it's interesting because we've been talking about a Man United struggling, but. I saw towards the game. I think they've won all away games in a row or eight away games in a row or something like that. At least that's what I saw at the end of the game, which is surprising when you talk about Man United struggling, which means a lot of their struggling is coming from, from home. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been all from home. This was uh, four consecutive away wins this season. This, and that's despite trailing in each game. So they've gone down and, and come back and won it. So that shows you their mentality away from home. Now, their biggest problem has been at home, but they did win the last one, not convincingly, but they did win it. Yeah, definitely something they need to pay attention for and figure out what's going on at home. What's so different about playing at Old Trafford versus any other stadium? Yeah, and I mean, if you and one of our Manchester United listeners from Australia very kindly pointed out to me that they now sit in ninth place, but they've played a game less. So if they win that, they shoot right up the table into the top four. Yeah, there's no doubt Man United is a quality team. I think we've talked about whether they have the right personnel in the right positions and what's going on on a consistency level, as we just touched on. So, And and you and I both covered this in one of the previous podcasts as well. As, we, as much as we love to hate Man United, we also wish them the best because they are one of the legendary sides in the Premier League. Definitely. So let's move on to another... I'm not going to say legendary, but a long-standing side in the Premier League, and that is Arsenal. <laughs> they don't make legendary status for you? <laughs> no, not for me, especially not the way they've been playing recently. <laughs> no, that was an interesting game, right? They, we just talked about them previously having disciplinary action, and now it's just going from one thing to the next where they just don't seem to be cohesive in this particular game. Yeah, I mean, they, they just seem disinterested. Yep. That's, that's, that's all I can say about them. They wanted Manchester United, and you would think that was a, a you know a platform to go ahead and do bigger things. And they've just gone and been like, you know what, we won in Manchester United. Now whatever we do, it doesn't matter. And they've just <laughs> been losing. Yeah. So they ended up losing the game to Wolverhampton. Um, why don't you run us through it, and then we'll talk about one of the biggest uh, issues that happened in the first half. Yeah. So they, like you said, they lost two one at home, and I don't really know. Like I said, Arsenal are disinterested, and that's all I can say about them. But I've I rather focus on Wolverhampton and and how good they were and how organized they were. You know, they scored two goals, and then they were able to hold Arsenal out for the whole of the second half, which shows their defensive you know strength. Yeah, and they were very very 
concentrated and focused, completely opposite to what we're talking about with regards to Arsenal. And, you know, one thing interesting as we get towards some of the things that happen towards the end of the first half, they do have some quality young players coming through as well in the Wolverhampton team. Yeah, yeah. And that's showing even with, you know, the young boy they bought out of Portugal, Silva, who I'm, we're going to touch on the incident, but he came in as a substitute early in the, in the first half. And he seemed to be fitting into the way they play. So, yep. yeah, they have some good good youngsters. And, and if they continue like this, they'll be a real, you know, um, issue for some of these bigger sides. Yeah, and I think Nuno Espirito Santos has got them playing as a team. Because one thing I did notice, let's talk about Fabio Silva for a second. He came on for, for a topic we'll touch on, which was an injury in the first half and actually got taken off around the 72nd or 73rd minute. And you would think a player that came on somewhere in the first half and got taken off in the middle of the second half would not be happy. But he smiled, clapped his hands and welcomed the other player coming onto the field. So definitely playing with that cohesive mentality. Yeah, and, and you've got to give credit to um, Nuno. You know, like you said, he's been at this job now four or five years he's brought them up and he's kept them up and kept them up convincingly so he's doing the he's doing the job yeah so should we touch on the injury that happened yeah let's let's talk about that i know you've got raul jimenez in your fantasy team and we we're hoping for some goals from him but you know he like we said he went off injured early in the in that first half it involved david luiz and uh, a scary injury for Jimenez. Uh, now we know it's a fractured skull and he's had surgery. But at that point, as soon as he goes down, you can see the, the Wolves and Arsenal players are very concerned. Yeah, it was a shocking injury. Obviously, nobody had any malintent to it. Everybody was going for the ball pretty strongly. But when you see somebody get hit and not wake up, right immediately right after it happens there's always concern even to the point where i think david luis stood up at one point and actually had to sit down again before they could fix him up because you could tell there was something wrong with him there um all in all i think i didn't actually count or measure the time but there's an additional 15 minutes or so additional time in the first half because raul Jimenez was laying down on the floor all that time while they tried to check him out, make sure it was okay, put him into a stretcher. And of course, they pulled him off the field and drove him straight to the hospital immediately after that. Yeah, and, and I'm glad to see that he's doing better and recovering. And, you know, nothing, at least they have reported anything serious. But that's a very scary injury. I know it's it's not, you know, it's nothing that is keeping him in coma or anything but it's it's scary no and as chelsea fans we've gone through it and seen better check have a scary head injury of that point where he had to wear a, a helmet the famous helmet now for the rest of his career we've seen john terry kicked in the face where he had been knocked out in a game as well so it's definitely something that's worrying we wish him a speedy recovery he's a fantastic player like i said he's and you said that he's my fantasy premier league he's he scored something like 33 percent or 34 percent of all goals Wolverhampton has put into into the net. So that's something that's interesting they're going to miss. But one negative thing I do want to touch on was after the clash, you could see David, Lu- David Luiz, who initially hit him or they collided, was still bleeding throughout the whole process. Um, in any other world, in any other game, you look at that and go, 
isn't it possible he has a concussion? Is something wrong? Should he still be playing? And most people go, well, you've got doctors that came onto the field, checked him out and gave him the AOK. We go to halftime and he doesn't come back out. Is that because he's no longer fit to play? Because if that's the reason, why did he continue to play with? And this was something NBC Sports touched on, people online are touching on. When you have a collision that's severe, if your team doctors are going to evaluate it, that's one thing. If it's somebody who's fallen over or taken a little bit of a knock, but a head injury that's serious, when a team doctor evaluates it, this is just my opinion, you can feel some sort of pressure with your top quality center back needing to finish out that first half or needing to finish out that game and claiming he's okay. I'm not saying anybody did this. However, there's a lot of talk for having an independent Premier League doctor. If we're truly worried about the welfare of the players, as we've touched on with Liverpool, why is there no independent doctor verifying and saying, he just got a knock to the head. He's not going to continue this, this half. Yeah. You've touched on some great points there. And I'll start off with, so he played the full first half and then they subbed him off because he, they claimed he was having trouble heading the ball, heading the ball, which he did for majority of that first half after the injury as well, (laughs) after the injury. And you're telling me that he was okay playing another 40 minutes of football, but then he had issues heading the ball. That's that just blows my mind. Right. Because how do you, you know, with the impact that he had on, on Jimenez obviously fractured Jimenez's skull and left Luis with absolutely no issues? That, that just doesn't make any sense. Yep, absolutely ridiculous. You know, a team of Arsenal's status, a team of Arsenal that has been in the Premier League for years, and these are high-paid players. They know when they're not the same. When David Luis stood up and had to sit right back down, there was something wrong. Now, he's a warrior for anybody who doesn't know, but a lot of Chelsea fan knows he's been a warrior for Chelsea for many years, PSG for many years. He will always put his 100%. So if the doctor has, quote unquote, cleared him, he's going he's gonna to go to put 100%. Even if the doctor said, hey, you want to come off? He's not going to protect himself, say, no, I want to come off. He's going to want to play. Someone has to come in, and this is why I talk about an intermediary, whether it's Premier League or an independent doctor, whatever it may be, comes and makes the call. Hell, even if you train your referees and say, this looks a little bit serious, don't let him continue with the game. Yeah, for how advanced and popular the Premier League is, this is one area that they're severely lacking in. And you can talk to any professional doctors or any professional medical center, or or even just you and I, who don't have that trained medical eye, that the Premier League needs to seriously look down, look look into this, and 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 put in some protocols and procedures that protect players, especially with a head injury. Especially with a head injury, you're correct. Especially yeah. with a head injury, because this is in the short term. Maybe they, you know, they can play that next the next game and in a few years. But long term, these guys are going to have some very bad effects of of you know concussions and yep. and just overall brain damage. So you're right. I think an individual doctor or or just even if there has been a head clash and there's players who seem concussed, take them into the dressing room, spend two, three minutes. In the meantime, if the team wants to bring on a sub, right, which is just a concussion sub or whatever you want to call it, so that the doctors and the player have enough time outside of 
the camera outside of the pressure of the fans when they're back to make it clear evaluation that this is good to go or not. Yeah, for sure. Definitely very valid point there. Even if it's a concussion sub, you know, my opinion is if you've already gone through to even think about a concussion sub, let that player sit it out. We all love football. We all love the greatest players playing in the game, but at some point they have to retire and live their normal life after this. Let's get them checked out quickly as possible. Yeah, and just you touched on Petr Cech, but I just remember very recently Gary Cahill and Ryan Mason. I, I'm sure you might remember it too. They, it was a game at home. I think it was Hull City and Chelsea at the bridge, and Ryan Mason fractured his skull and had to retire right away. Right. So these are career-ending injuries, and, and we need to pay a little more attention to them. Absolutely. And like I said, we wish, you know, Raul Jimenez a speedy recovery. Hope he's okay. Hope Bulls can continue. Um, but we move on to a little bit of a positive side of the game. Uh, both the goals Bulls scored were pretty good goals, huh? Yeah, yeah. And they were positive to, throughout that whole game. They wanted to score and they wanted to co- finish off that game. So I was just happy to see potent score because yep. he's on my team but that, that didn't really do anything for me so yeah so the two goal scorers were, were Neto who's you know another young player that Bulls are brought in and he's performing wonderfully coming in from the wings and then Podence if you haven't seen his goal I was in amazement the way he took that ball flicked it over everybody and just slotted it into the net it's just the calmness of mind and presence to know how to do that in a high pressure game definitely that wonderful wonderful game to watch yeah, yeah, and just to go on the other side of things now, <laughs> Arsenal, I don't know where they go from here. They play Spurs next weekend, and uh, if they can get themselves up for that game and, and try to get a result, then I don't know if Arteta gets sacked right away, but it's not looking good for him. It's not looking good, and there, there could be many issues going on there, but I do have a funny comment to bring up about Arsenal. So I was watching the game and my wife doesn't watch the game so intently as, as I do. And, and maybe your wife is the same, but it was funny. She kind of looked up and saw David Luiz and she goes, David Luiz plays for Arsenal. And I go, yeah, he joined the season. And she looked up and she saw one and she's like, William plays for Arsenal. She knows them from Chelsea. And I go, yeah, don't you know what Arsenal is famous for? And she goes, no, I'm like, they're the, they're the teams where when Chelsea players turn old, they come to retire over here. And she thought that was pretty funny. So <laughs> I had that moment with my wife a few weeks ago and she's like, how do you feel about Louise being at Arsenal? I'm like, you know, we're in a better place now. So, <laughs> Yeah, good, we're talking about to... now what William Gallas, um, Petr Cech, David Louise, William, which is making it a retirement home for our older players. Yeah, and it's funny when we were signing players over the summer, there was memes and stuff going around that Arsenal should be excited because in 2024, they can have, <laughs> you know, whoever... <laughs> At a, so, at a good price, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, Arsenal sitting in 14th after this defeat. And, you know, they've... I saw a stat, and I'll read it out. They've only once come back to win after being down in their last 13 Premier League games. It's simple mentality. They just don't have the right mentality. And I know we we gave Arteta a lot of positive and, and good, you know, feedback and, and we're good, feeling good about him. But there's some serious questions that need to be asked of him. Yep. Like you said, where do they go from here? That's going to be interesting to see. And 
what their recruitment looks like in January. Hopefully, might might help them make a turn. Yeah, if he makes it that far. Yep. But anyway, so that was Arsenal and Wolves. Um, another game on Sunday, and this one we all watched and were very excited for, but didn't didn't live up to the excitement in terms of goals. Was Chelsea Spurs? It was a quiet game as far as attacking goes, but I think defensively and tactically, it was actually very interesting to watch how the game went. And there's a lot of back and forth, but overall, I think it was a good game. And for me personally, it shows where Chelsea have come, definitely compared to last season. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And not just Chelsea, but also Frank Lampard. So yep. we'll touch on those on all those topics. But let me just run through the team that started. And I was impressed that he didn't change it up like I thought he would. So it was right. his traditional 4-3-3, Mendy in goal, Reese James, Kurt Zuma, Thiago Silva, and Ben Chilwell in the back four. Um, Mateo Kovacic, N'Golo Kante, and Mount in midfield. And then Hakim Ziyech, Tammy Abraham, and Timo Werner. To, to complete the uh, starting 11. It's a very strong starting 11. I think he, I think I'm glad he went with that starting 11 because it proved to me he didn't second guess his tactics of what he was trying to do at the club. Yeah, yeah, he definitely you know made some subtle tweaks to to how we played in terms of either Reese James bombing forward and Chilwell staying a little bit closer to midfield or the other way around. But he knew how to manage this game in terms of tactics, in terms of players. And like I said, that's the real positive for me, seeing Frank Lampard in his second year as a Chelsea manager. Yeah. So the game ended nail-nail, which is, it's an okay result, I think, for both sides. But as we talk more about the tactics, for one thing that's interesting to me, not even looking back at last season, looking back at the first few games when we signed Kai Havertz, which you and I thought he wasn't really ready when he started his games. He just came back. He is in the squad. He is fit, not necessarily match fit. The fear is that Lamps could throw him in there immediately because he's starting to prefer Kai Havertz as a first-choice player. But he went with Kovacic. I think that's a smart move as well because you're looking at, one, let me stick with the player who is match fit. But two, going with Kovacic, it's a different type of player to Kai Havertz. It's the player that will focus more on defensively if we're going to be hit on the counter-attack, I need to be paying attention and I need to be running back and protecting the back four as well. So I think those couple of things that you look at, you touched on the fallbacks, uh, even looking at Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech, they were also falling back to kind of protect from the counter-attack. Not saying we were defensive. To be very honest, I don't think we were defensive at all. But tactical awareness of going back and doing those things, even on corners, Tammy Abraham was clearing the ball a couple of times. So he actually went back and played his part in the game as well. Yeah, you're right. It's it's like you said, it's a tactical awareness. And that's that's a great phrase and, and term because we knew and were aware of Spurs threat on the counterattack and we're always trying to avoid that. And even if we weren't, we were coming back in time to prevent it from happening. So again, that, that just points to Frank Lampard and the players buying into his philosophy. In, in in all games, not just when he's going to say, let's just go attack. Right. It's also about when we've got to stay a little bit defensively tight, you know, they buy into that. 
Yeah, and that's what we were missing early in the season on those games. I think I forget the name of the the team, but it was three nailed down, and we have to fight back three three. It's a matter of just being smart enough to watch the game and realize, hey, we're losing one nail or two nail. Calm it down, settle it, and then go through. In this game, we did exactly that, which was calm, watching the game. There were chances, albeit a few here and there, some good saves on both sides. But I think overall, a fair result, in my opinion, with it ending nail-nail. What about your thoughts? Yeah, I would say it's fair, but we definitely created enough to sure. win it. And and you your prediction was one nothing, and I I at that point had said I highly doubt that Harry Kane and Son don't score or at least are involved in some kind of goal, but that second half those two were missing, non-existent, completely non-existent. Exactly, and and I think Gary Neville said it too that this might be the first time he's seen Harry Kane so quiet in a game. Yeah, so, and I think there's, it's down to really looking at that midfield. I, I want to touch on on one player um, who's been my man of the match for multiple games. Again, he's my man of the match for this game, and that was Mason Mount. I think I actually messaged you during the game. When you're watching the game at some point, and this doesn't happen very often, N'Golo Kante got a little bit excited and actually burst forward. Kovacic on the right side of him, and I looked through and I said, there's a giant hole in midfield. And Mason Mount, who's typically our most attacking midfielder, Almost just looked around and said, there isn't anybody protecting this back four. Took four or five steps backwards and slid into the middle just to kind of protect it. And the ball got loose from Kante and immediately fell right to Mason Mount. And he goes, okay, so I'm doing the right thing. And I'm sure that would have given him confidence to say, I am watching the game. I'm understanding it for a player who's young. Just to have that awareness of, I've not been told to be the central defensive midfielder. However, my central defensive midfielder has gone on a run let me watch, let me make sure it's the right thing to do and slot back in. And he did that several times in the game and several times pulled an interception from a ball that was being thrown over the top. And it was really wonderful to watch just how he's developing into a smart, smart, smart footballer. Yeah, it's it's the evolution of Mason Mount. He was good last season, but he's becoming even better this season. Right. And for all the Chelsea fans that don't like him or don't see what he brings to the team, yeah, I think you should find a new team to watch. <laughs> I wouldn't be that harsh because I initially, I think I've told you this, I wasn't a big fan of Mason first because you do get some sort of maybe Frank was playing favoritism because he had him at Derby County or he's from the, the, you know, the youth squad, so we got to force him in and play. But as I watch him and pay attention to him, it's definitely it's exciting to see the footballing brain. And you don't hear that a lot about footballers these days. It's, oh, he has a great pass or it's a poacher or it's a great, you know, shot stopper, but not the intelligence level that I'm seeing in Mason Mount. So I definitely hope he continues in that path. Yeah. And I, I think he will. He's yeah. got, and he's got the best teacher to, to, to teach him and, and develop that brain, yep. which Frank Lampard had himself. So yeah. Um, but just to touch on the Spurs, you know, the, we knew Spurs were going to play exactly the way they did. Yep tight defensively block off when we're making attacking runs and, and block off the space for Werner, for Ziyech, for Tammy Abraham. And on the other side, just wanted to play on the counter. Now they, for the first part of, of the first half had some decent possession. And I think that would have pleased Jose Mourinho, but as the game went on and as it kept getting closer to the 90th minute, he, he knew that it was time to shut it down and he brings on Ben Davies and, and, and 
tries to just close it out. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think Tottenham Hotspurs were bad by any means, but I think you and I were messaging throughout the game. We talked about Chelsea being, looking for the right word, a little bit sloppy in the first 10, 15 minutes. And I think we had talked about it being just down to nerves. And you could see once the nerves kind of settled, Chelsea really started to control the game. But you are correct. Jose Mourinho starts to understand, I may not get anything out of this game, so I'm going to come here and take one point rather than lose all three, which he does, you know, brilliantly. We've talked about the Jose Mourinho masterclass all the time. He did that brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. And he he came out and said, well, my team's disappointed we didn't win. But deep down, I think they were all very pleased with the work they put in. Yeah, for sure. But that's typical yeah. Jose. I think he sends a message, um, which we've talked about quite a bit. He starts to build that mentality of we didn't win. I, I'm happy internally that we didn't lose the game, but I want my team to be aggressive and want to win every single game, which just builds that mentality. And that took them to the top of the table again. Yeah, and they are now, I believe, nine games unbeaten in the Premier League. So they're on, they're on a run, and I believe that's the longest unbeaten run in the, in the league. Yeah, definitely great so. to see because, you know, we are super critical of Tottenham, our London neighbors, but... I think Jose Mourinho is building something special there. Yeah. And they, I mean, if you had told him before the international break ended that you play Man City and Chelsea in the next two weeks and you get four points, he would have taken it. Easy. Yeah. No doubt. No yeah. doubt about that. Yep. So, so, yeah, a nil-nil game. I mean, I think I would like to bring up one player that might get you going, but I have to do this for the listeners. What did you make of Tammy Abraham in this game? If I give my true opinion, I think we're going to get some people very, very upset. <laughs> um, I, I like to be honest, so I, I don't think he was good enough. I think there were too many chances. You touched on that. I said nil-nil was fair, but you said there were too many chances. And when you say too many chances, I think 80% of those too many chances fell to Tammy Abraham. And unfortunately, he was the wrong player for that day to for those chances to fall through. I'm not... I, I hate knocking him down because I don't, you know, I've, I've made my opinion very clear on him in the past, but he is a Chelsea player. He's here to play, but there were a couple of crosses that I think Reese James put in, Hakim Ziyech put in, even Ben Chilwell. And it's the timing is wrong or the positioning is wrong. And I understand that he's young, but you are now playing for an elite Premier League club. Your manager is picking you over a World Cup center forward who came on and obviously had his own miss. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when you're playing a game this tight, this is the difference from what makes you a very, very, very good football player and a world-class football player. Uh, am I being harsh on him? Possibly, but everybody knows where my opinion is on Tammy Abraham. He needs to be bearing one of those three and the game changes. But I don't want to get too deep into that and, and get stuck and hung up on this, but he needs to be bearing at least one of those goals. No, I agree. I've defended him on this podcast and, and outside, but you've got to be honest. As a striker, you make your, your game by scoring goals. All the other things, hard work, running off the ball, movement, dropping deep, is, is an added bonus that you do for the team. But right. for yourself, it's goals. Yep. And I know he's still 23. He's a young man. And you know, his misses didn't cost us the game in terms of we lost sure. it. But he's, I think he's got to look at himself and say, 
I got to be a little bit more stronger in that when these chances are coming, if I miss the first one, I have to get the second one or I have yeah. to get the third one. But at times it seemed like he would, he'd miss the first one and then he would do a good turn and then fall over Yeah. or he would win the ball and he's on a run and then he would trip. And I think psychologically he, it was catching up to him. I agree with you. And, and he got subbed off and Giroud came on, but I think he's got a, you know, and again, I like him as a player. I know you do too. But you make your name and you make your game as a striker by scoring goals, which is what he's done in the past, but he's got to do it again. Yeah, and that's that's what I've said in the past is you can do it. He's done it. Obviously, I've said I prefer Olivier Giroud to start. We've talked about this, that Frank Lampard wants you know the future, which is good. I agree with that. But you're, we started off the season without him playing. There was a reason he didn't play because whenever he did come on, he wasn't performing he got a little bit of run, a little bit of a run in the side, started to get a couple of goals here and there. I wasn't convinced. This game just keeps me on the fence every time. Is Tammy Abraham good coming off the bench? Can he be a Chelsea player? Yes. But I don't want just Tammy Abraham coming off the bench and being a, a good Chelsea player. Now's your time. This is the season with the players around you, with the crosses that were coming in that were ridiculous. Put it in the net. Just go ahead and give us the three points you start to change your mentality and Chelsea starts to believe in you. Because the other thing that can happen, and I've seen this in the past, is if you've got Reese James giving crosses and Hakim Ziyech giving crosses and Ben Chilwin and you're not putting one in, eventually they're going to look up and say, what's the point of crossing the ball? This guy's not going to put in the net. And then we start to change our, our play and game style. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah, you're right. If things aren't going well, you know, which, which is very easily can happen in, in this league, players start doubting you and, and then it's all become psychological. So you're right. Yep. Yeah. So I don't want to beat him up too much because Olivia Giroud came on and did the exact same thing. And I was about to throw a shoe at my television because <laughs> it was the last minute of the game. You know, any other chance you give Olivia Giroud nine, nine, ten, ten 10, chances, nine of those he scores, but uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those days is all I'll say about him. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's a little harsh on Giroud to say he shouldn't be missing that because the ball back did not have enough pace for him to knock it past Lurie. So, and it came it came to him so quick he just reacted. So, yeah, we can take we can sit here and talk about yeah, yeah we can sit here and talk about missed chances. I mean, overall it was it was good opportunities for everybody. I think we should yep. have won the game overall, but I think nail nail is deserved on the night. Yep, and we stay third in the table, and you know we're building something. So I'm I'm feeling good. So let's move on to our Champions League game. We play Seville, Sevilla away in Seville. And like we said last week, qualification has already been sealed for both teams, but there's a small matter of deciding who finishes first. So right. this game would go a long way to doing that. For sure. And I also think it gets us the opportunity to play some non-starters with no pressure. So having that opportunity for them to get their legs moving and, and playing game time. Yeah, totally. And and I think Lampard's going to take this opportunity to make some changes because we have a lot of games coming up. December is, is a tight month, so I definitely expect some changes. So who but, do you think he's going to put in the starting lineup? Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. So for me, I think it's going to be he continues with Mendy. I know I've seen some calls for Kepa, but I think Mendy just because we need to win or at least not lose this game. I think Espilicueta comes back, give Reese James the the night off, or at least leave him on the bench. Zuma, Rudiger, give Thiago Silva 
the the night off, leave him in London, and then I would bring on Emerson. I like Emerson. I, I wanted, yeah, I wanted Emerson to play in in France last week, and Chilwell, you know, and towards the end of that game, rolled his ankle too against Spurs. Right. So I think a rest would be good for him. I think Kai Havertz should start this game. Okay. Now come off the bench twice after his COVID isolation. So him, I would play Jorginho in midfield and Conte. So are you sticking with a four-three-three? Yeah, yeah, definitely okay. a four-three-three. And up top, I would go with Hudson Odoi, who's been doing well in the Champions League, scored two and two. Uh, Olivier Giroud, and then I'd give Pulisic a run out as well. Okay, that's definitely still a very strong squad, which is nice to see. We've talked about adding to the team and keeping you know, a core group of players, which is nice to see. I'm excited to see Callum Hudson-Odoi. I was listening to Frank Lampard's pre-match interview today. He's saying, you know, Callum is playing really, really well in training. Uh, he's kept his head up and been positive because he had got that goal in France and then got dropped out of the 18-man squad going to Tottenham. Um, I think a Callum of year before would have we probably would have heard some murmurs in the news about him not being happy or whatnot so it's good to hear that he's being positive and training very very hard so i don't know if that means he's you know just growing up and maturing or frank lampard is managing that relationship really well which i would expect that to be a little bit versus maybe a mauricio sari just on the language barrier alone would would be a big difference yeah yeah i i think hudson odoi has been good and like i said i think a week or so ago He's taking advantage of the opportunities he's getting. So I hope he gets one tomorrow and and can capitalize on that. Another young player wanted to touch on is Billy Gilmore. He's Ah, back. He's back. Yeah. Yeah, he's back. He picked up an injury not so soon after the Liverpool FA Cup game, which he dominated last season. And he's now back and fit. And Lampard's taking him to Spain. So I I hope he gets a, a runoff, a run from the sub bench yeah that would be great to see him he was definitely a young talent and was performing really well towards the end of last season so it'll be nice to see him yeah he he was actually being touted to be Jorginho's replacement so big big name there to replace but that yeah would be definitely good to have I'm enjoying yeah. some of the homegrown talent that's coming through in the squad now yeah me too definitely so let's just do a quick score prediction what do you think this you know I don't think Sevilla is an easy place to go and play going away. I think I want us to continue with clean sheets. So maybe just a one nail win on this one. Yeah. Just to touch on your talk about Sevilla, Chelsea have only won one of their last 10 games against Spanish opposition in the champions league. So it's been a tough run for us in yeah. Spain, but it doesn't help that we're always drawn against Barcelona. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I think we win this game because we're focused to, to, you know, lock down that top spot. And in the interest of being different, I'm going to go with the 3-1 because I go with 2-1 all the time. <laughs> You're confident that we're going to score that many goals in Spain? Hey, your boy Giroud's starting, man. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, hopefully that comes through. It'll be nice to see a, a bunch of goals going in. Yep, definitely. So... We'll we'll watch that game and we'll talk about it when we get back later this week. But moving to our final segment, and this is always a fun one, is the blast from the past. So who've you got this week, Jackie? 
Yeah. So I always try and think ahead of time for who my blast in the past can be. And I always have some great players. Um, this particular time, there was some sad news that came out of uh, a player that played in the Premier League for several years, Papa Buba Diop. So in honor of him passing away this this past week, unfortunately, uh, I've, ch- I've chosen him as my blast from the past. So Papa Buba Diop was a Senegalese international. He was actually a, the captain for Senegal for many years. He did pass away a few days ago with a, after a lengthy, a lengthy battle with an illness. So unfortunately, you know, may he rest in peace, thoughts and prayers with his friends and family and everybody in the Premier League that watched him for years. I know you and I watched him for many years while we were growing up as well. He's got many teams he played for in the, you know, many teams he played for in his career, but we'll focus just on the Premier League for now. He started with Fulham and then later moved to Portsmouth. And a fun fact, which I don't really like saying, but he scored his first goal for Fulham against Chelsea in the 2004-2005 season to get off the mark. He wasn't um, a tremendous goal scorer. He scored a total of uh, nine goals in 84 games for Fulham. Later moved to Pompey, Portsmouth. Played 72 games, didn't score, but he was more of that defensive-minded or breaking-down-the-play kind of player. His goal against Chelsea was a screamer. So if you hadn't had a chance to look it up, just go on YouTube and look it look it up. Uh, not fun for us to talk about, but he deserved the respect of a, a great quality player. He left the Premier League and played in Greece for about a year and then wrapped up his career by coming back to West Ham and then played a couple of games for Birmingham before calling it quits on his career. But may he, re- may he rest in peace. What a fantastic player to touch the Premier League. Yes, and I know you said he played for a lot of teams and Senegal being one of them. And he actually, and I'm sure many people know this, scored the only goal against France in the 2002 World Cup. Which, yeah. you know, that was that was France's first game back in the World Cup after winning it four years ago, and he scored the winner. So a proud moment for the African continent. And like yep. you said, may he, may he rest in peace. Um, and thanks for touching and bringing us back to the African continent. That's usually something I do, so. We have to try here and there to keep the connection going. Yes. Yes. So my blast from the past is one that many people may know, but the recent fans may not. So I figured he was a good good one to use, is David Bentley. And for people that don't know him, he was also known as David Beckham 2.0. Yeah, David Bentley. <laughs> yes. So he started his career at Arsenal. He came through at Arsenal but he spent most of his time on loan at North City and Blackburn Rovers, mainly because he couldn't break through at the, at back then, which was the invincible Arsenal team. So, you know, any player would have struggled and, and rightly so David Bentley went out on loan, spent his time, like I said, at Blackburn and he enjoyed his time at Blackburn so much that in January of 2006, he signed for them on a permanent basis and he scored his debut goal for Blackburn. And I vaguely remember watching this game in a win over Manchester United. He scored a hat-trick on his wow. debut against Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United. Um, and Blackburn back in those days were a, a very solid Premier League team. And they, they showed that by finishing sixth that season and qualifying for... the UEFA Cup, now the Europa League. And he thrived for Blackburn under Mark Hughes, uh, made a total of 88 appearances for them, and then got his big move to Tottenham Hotspur in 2008 for 17 million pounds. Joined Harry Redknapp and his 
you know, his change in squad and Spurs back then. Talk about making an impact on your debut again. He scored, well, not his debut, but he scored his first goal for Spurs in a North London derby that ended 4-4 at the Emirates. And this was a beautiful goal. He picked it up on the volley. He touched it and then volleyed it in 43 yards out into the net for the opening goal in that game. Wow. And that was that was a beautiful game, if you, a beautiful goal. If you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. But that was kind of his highlight at Tottenham. He was in and out of form, uh, fell behind Aaron Lennon, another blast from the past player that we, we may talk about in the future, and, and just never made it in the starting 11 for Spurs. He mainly only featured off the bench. Uh, he ended up making 42 appearances for Spurs, scoring two goals. And then spent most of his time on loan at Birmingham City, West Ham, and finally went back to Blackburn. Uh, and in, all in all, he made 201 appearances in his career. And at a very young age of 29 in 2014, retired from the game and stated that he just fell, fell out of love with the game. So a, a little bit of sad ending to his career, but he definitely had provided some great goals and memories in the Premier League. Yeah, it's a shame he left so early. I remember him playing at Blackburn Rovers at, I don't want to say the height of his career, but he was performing wonderfully with another player down the left wing. I'm not going to say his name, but if somebody can comment and let us know, you'll get a little shout out on the next podcast we do, but another wonderful left-footed player. I may use him in my next blast in the past. Yes, that's that's a good one. And I'd love to see how many of our listeners can guess who it is. So yeah, <laughs> send it, send it over to us. And like we said, we'll definitely give you a shout out. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. It's been a fun conversation. We've covered a lot of topics, Jackie, uh, from Jurgen Klopp to BT sport to Lampard, Mourinho. And um, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback from the listeners We've seen your comments and your uh, ratings on, on iTunes, and we're loving them. Please keep them coming and continue listening to us wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. It's at the Premier Chels. And subscribe and let's grow the Premier Chels together. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.